Hello and welcome to another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thank you so much for listening. This is where I have conversations with people who are living life on their own terms. We dive into those big moments that have pushed them through the fears and self-limiting beliefs that hold so many of us back. Now, I am beyond excited about this week's episode as I have my friend, teacher, and all-round beautiful human, Brooke McCallery, back on the podcast this week. Brooke and her husband, Ben, are the wonderful souls behind the hugely influential Slow Home podcast. And they are two people that have really helped, guided, and encouraged Inga and I in many of the big life decisions that we've made over the past few years. As you've heard me talk about many times before, Brooke's latest book, Slow, has recently been released here in Australia and New Zealand. I know it's going to be released all around the world, but there are crazy dates and when that will be happening over the next six months. But we do kind of talk about that in the podcast as well. Um, This book, though, it's part memoirs, part practical companion, and it really provides a fascinating insight into the benefits of slowing down. It's going to inspire you to forget about the Joneses and create a life filled with the things that really matter to you. Brooke is coming to my hometown here in Newcastle to actually do an author's talk about this book. That is happening on Wednesday, the 27th of September from 6.30 p.m. at the Hunter Design School. Now, that is only next week, so make sure you register and grab your tickets uh, for this event because I know that it will f- it will sell out. Uh, tickets are like $5 just to cover the venue hire. You can grab your tickets if you go to the events page at liveimmediately.com or you can click the link in the show notes for this episode. It's really going to be a fun night. Brooke's going to be talking about her book a little bit. You're going to be able to hang out with like-minded people, people trying to figure out how they can slow down their lives as well. Or they might even have their own kind of tips that you'll be able to share when you're mingling and chat and meet new people. So make sure you, you come along and I really look forward to seeing you if you are in the neighborhood. Now, in this episode, Brooke and I do talk about the book, but we really dive deep into this notion of slowing down, being more intentional about your life and aligning your life with your values. Brooke talks about how she turned her life around to a destination of simple and how the process of doing that is messy, unique, and individual to everybody, but how being patient and having faith in that process is so fundamental. We also discuss being emotionally available for your children and the people that you really love, self-worth, and this powerful exercise that Brooke did. This is when she was away on holidays. She found this prompt book of writing tips. And when she opened up this book, it, it asked her to write her eulogy in three sentences. Now, I know that this might sound a little bit morbid, but it has nothing to do with death and everything to do with how you are living or should be living your life. Brooke is a kind, insightful, passionate woman on a mission to really help people change the way they live their life. Slowly, of course. I hope you enjoy my conversation with the lovely Brooke McCallery. Hi, Brooke. How are you? Mike, I'm so well. How are you? I'm very well indeed, very well indeed. And thank you for coming back on the Live Immediately podcast for the second time. This is beautiful. Oh, it's a pleasure. I I absolutely love talking to you. So anytime I get a chance to (laughs) is a a good morning. And whereabouts are you on this beautiful morning? 
I'm in my office at home in the mountains. Um, spring is just starting to to spring, I guess. And <laughs> yeah. funny that <laughs> yeah, yeah. spring is springing. Ah, <laughs> uh, beautiful. And we were kind of chatting before because we we're, we're chatting at um like seven a.m. this morning. And for parents with school age kids, it's an it's a really interesting time. I can't believe that we both agreed to this time, but it was the <laughs> the only time that we could fit in both of our schedules. Yeah, so apologies in advance for any kind of uniform-related screaming in the background. <laughs> it's just the time of the day. But I wanted to get you back onto the podcast because I received your beautiful book, Slow, in the mail. Um, so firstly, congratulations for that. Oh, thank you. It's a, yeah, it's a funny feeling having it out in the, in the world and having people <laughs> read and react to it. But uh, yeah, thank you. It's it's. It, I'm glad that it's it's out, and I can take a big deep breath and let it go. <laughs> yeah. Well, w- when it did arrive, um, my wife Inga nabbed it straight away, and she was the one who kind of really tucked into it and just consumed this book. So I I did have to wait patiently before I could <laughs> kind of get my hands on it. But but speaking about getting my hands on it, the feel of this book is beautiful. I love it that you've chosen some quality paper the way that it's laid out the quotes that are kind of pulled out through throughout the the illustrations and obviously the words on the page but it really feels like a well thought book yeah thank you it was i mean i worked with a couple of really awesome people at the publisher at alan Unwin who championed the book in that way so I mean, I had in mind what i wanted to, it to be and then they threw their expertise in and that's kind of what what came about and I, I, I agree with you. Um, I love that it's hardcover. I love that it's kind of, it feels significant and I don't know, it, it, there's a, a real texture to it that I love, um, particularly the cover. Uh, yeah. So it's nice to hear that other people kind of feel that way as well. Yeah, no, it really is beautiful. And obviously we're going to be talking uh, about the book and, and, other things in today's chat. Um, but I just wanted to start off because w- with a new book, there is obviously a, a book tour that, that goes along with that. And you are going to be in my hometown here of Newcastle. And I can't wait to meet you in person again on Wednesday, September 27th from 6.30 p.m. at the Hunter Design School, which is 67 Parish Street, Newcastle. And my friend and um, podcast guest, Samantha Dove, she reached out to me and she's like, you know, Brooke McCallery, her new book's going to be coming out. Why don't we get together and have a, a Newcastle book launch for her? And I was like, definitely. And one thing led to another, and, and here's kind of where we're at. And it's so beautiful that you've kind of created this community of people that really want to grab onto your work and spread it far and wide. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't feel like I can take any credit for that because it's just a, an amazing group of people. I really, I, I love every single one of them, and, and the, I think that's what's blown me away uh, in the last couple of weeks since the book came out. The support from people has been phenomenal. I mean, you and Sam and uh, countless other people uh, have gotten in touch and asked what they can do to help, or um, are offering to put on events, and you know, lots of other lots of other things that people are doing. And I think more than anything, it speaks to the fact that there are so many of us who want to slow down and this idea of slow, um, you know, and taking the time to pay attention and notice and, and be intentional with our lives is 
really taking hold because I think it's it flies in the face of how most people feel like we should be living. And it that to me is so, um, I don't know, it fills me with confidence and optimism because there are so many of us. Yeah, definitely. And you spoke there about, you know, the way that we should be living. And I guess it, mm. ta- it takes a turning point and it takes some realization to go, you know what, I might be heading down a particular path that I don't want to be heading down, even though that's the path that society is kind of deliberately or not deliberately pushing us down. Mm-hmm. For you, how did you, how did you create that, that turnaround? <laughs> With lots of tears <laughs> <laughs> and some significant um, counselling. Uh, I So I actually, I was living the opposite of slow for many years and the opposite of intentional. I was um, kind of just throwing myself headlong into all the things that I thought I needed to do in order to be successful, never actually questioning much of it at all other than can I have more, <laughs> can I do more, can I be more. And it wasn't until I was di- so I was diagnosed with postnatal depression after my second child was born, even though I think that it was part of depression and anxiety had been part of my life for a long time. That was the first time someone had sat me down and said, this is what's happening. Mm. Uh, and it was through my recovery of that that I initially discovered the idea of slow living. So I sat down with my psychiatrist every week for like two years and then gradually kind of she weaned me off her (laughs) Um, at the same time as I was weaning myself off my uh, antidepressants. But it was in that period that I discovered this idea of slow living because she, she, I think, had spent a few months with me and very quickly had recognized a pattern to my behavior. And that pattern would go something like I would turn up to a session and I would pretend like everything was fine for the first 10 minutes and then I would complain bitterly about everything that I had to do and be uh, and own and want in life uh, and how tired I was and how relentless it was. And I would do this week in and week out. And she asked me one day, have you considered doing less? And while initially I was offended by the idea because I thought she said she was saying, you can't cope, you're not strong enough. She wasn't at all saying that. And the idea just stuck. And that's how I first started to research the idea of simplifying and slowing down. And over the the next five or six years, it really morphed into what it is now, which is, you know, slower but more intentional more than anything, really paying attention and being present and being mindful and living a life that's aligned with what's important to me. And I think the second part of that is the really important part of my whole journey, I guess, is um, the time that I wrote my eulogy. And I think that was really a turning point for me, but I I needed to do all the other work in order to get to that point and have that awareness. And when we talk about going at that fast pace and, Mm. and you were doing all of these different things and whether that be so many after school activities that we have with the kids or just kind of that racing to always consuming more, I guess we sometimes do that because we feel like we're going to miss out that, that, that we're trying to keep up now that you've, you've gone through this and it's, you know, it's been a number of years. Do you feel like you're missing out? Do you feel that those, you know, those initial fears of that were keeping you at that fast pace, have any of those kind of come true? 
Mm, no, they haven't. It's a good question, though, because I think that they, it's like it's part of the the process. I think if I was still in the place mentally that I was a few years ago, then I would feel like I was missing out. But now I've completely realigned what's important to me and I'm not missing out on those things. You know, like I might be missing out on, I don't know, something that would make a great Instagram shot. (laughs) You know what I mean? But in terms of the things that are important, which is family and, you know, work that's contributing to the world and all that kind of stuff, uh, I'm not missing out on any of that. In fact, I'm, I'm getting more of that because I've decided it's okay to miss out on the things that I used to worry about, which was stuff or looking successful or, you know, having something that was flashy just for the sake of saying that I could have it or having the new iPhone or whatever it might have been. It was incredibly, like looking back, it's incredibly shallow. Um, But that's what I thought I needed in order to look like I had it all together. Mm. And that was important to me, you know, to be the person who was, was coping and doing well and that people would say, how does she do it? You know, uh, the fact is I wasn't doing it all. And when I tried to do it all, I was doing it all quite badly. And you spoke there too about what's important to you. And, mm. you know, I guess that really aligns with our values. And and I, I know that when people reach out to me, sometimes they struggle to maybe articulate what is important to them or, or what they value, which I think is such a common thing. Mm. And then so then they're like, well, I, I kind of don't know then how to readjust or, or redirect my life. Do you have any tips for that? Yeah, I mean, it's not it's not easy. And I think that my first tip is to to be patient with ourselves. Like it does take time and no one wants to hear that. When, um, and I didn't, I certainly didn't want to hear that when I first started changing things. I didn't want to know that it would take me five or six years to get to a point where I'm like, ah, oh, okay, this is what I've been working towards. Because that, when you're struggling, when you really feel like you're kind of really just trying to keep your head above water five or six years feels like forever um but it does take time and i think to to be patient with yourself and to understand that it's a process is important Um, but i I also think that doing something as simple as starting to write a a list of those things that you value Mm. um plotting out you know where your time goes during your day or during your week and seeing if there's a disconnect there can be really helpful. So in the book, I've got this, you know, funny little illustration called a barometer of caring, you know, and level 10s are the things that might make it into my eulogy. Like they're the really just the core important things like family and, um, you know, looking after the planet. Uh, And Stephen King books are like at a number nine. (laughs) But then, you know, it goes all the way down to a level one where like, yeah, I might spend a bit of time doing something with a level one or talking about it or whatever, but I don't really care that much about it and I think plotting that out was fun first of all but it also helped me understand really where the important stuff was and then I would look at how I was spending my days and noticing that the things that were kind of a level two or three were getting way more attention and time than the things that were like a nine or a ten and it's just I think a very gradual process of starting to flip that um, that ratio So uh, in my first book, I talk about the idea of rhythm, you know, creating a rhythm to your morning or to your day. And doing that allows you to really reinvent, um, you know, the the sequence of events in your morning or your day or your week. 
and finding a little pocket of time for one of those things that are important to you and like really honoring that. So if it's, if you decide that you want to do, you want to create more, then give yourself, you know, half an hour on, on a Saturday or a Sunday to create something and block that time out and, and honor it and make sure you commit to it. And I think it's just by those really small recommitments to things that matter that we start to to see everything differently. And I think that there's a lot of organic change that happens once you commit to to shifting your 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 time and your energy towards the things that matter. And you may not have even necessarily um, planned for it to happen that way, but they do slowly unfold towards it. And I, then I think it's just a you know a, a consistent recalibration because we all get busy and we all get um, distracted. And I think it's a matter of, uh, yeah, I guess shifting our attention back. Yeah. It's interesting that you talk about commitment there because it's, it's funny how we can commit ourselves to such meaningless things. <laughs> and, and, and they, they seem to take up all of this time because, you know, I'm a, I'm a big believer that time is the true currency and we're all kind of paid equal amounts. Um, and when, when I'm, when I'm talking to some, some businesses lately, and it's all about, hey, we're, we're too busy doing X, Y, Z. Mm. And, and what, what's really important to them might be their, their family and, and watching their kids grow and things like that. And, and these are people that really can kind of create the change in their life, you know, if we're talking financially. But it's funny how they still will want to commit to these things that are really just sucking the time that, that don't align with those values. And it's, I, yeah, I guess you're right there. It's just being aware and taking the time to do the work and, and create those lists and have those discussions with your partner and to really think about like, where do we want to head? What is that direction that we do want to take? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's, you said it, do the work. It is work. It doesn't just happen. Um, it, you don't, you don't accidentally trip over and fall into an intentional life. <laughs> you know, it's, 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 and I, I laugh, but that was kind of what I used to, I used to think. I just assumed that life would look after me in that way. And I would just kind of find my, my feet. And the idea of like soul searching was this cute idea that people wrote songs about or something, but it wasn't something that I needed to do. And it's work and it's heavy and it's painful and uncomfortable sometimes, but it's absolutely worth it. Um, and I think the more we talk about the work of, you know, remaking or refinding or recreating ourselves and the lives we want, I think the better because it is, it's a job, you know, mm -hmm. it's a big undertaking, but it's something that I would recommend that we all, we all try. Yeah. Cause I found with Inga and I, you know, when we talk about doing that work for me, I've actually, and I, I, I'm, what I'm about to say, I might not do all the time, but for me, I've kind of let go of the outcome mm -hmm. because, you know, we were talking offline, you know, Inga and I have been looking at moving to the, a, a bit of a, a country change at the moment. And there was one big, beautiful property in Gresford that we were really seriously um, thinking about purchasing and we would have to build a house on it and all this kind of stuff. And over the course of a month, we were going, you know, I was doing so much research. We didn't end up getting that property. Um, you know, the, the figures just kind of didn't add up and it was maybe a little bit too big for what we were after. Mm -hmm. But just that process and the conversations that Ingrid and I had and really started to figuring out what was important to us and, and what were the things that we wanted to do, 
So now the next track or path that we walked out, we've, we've already got that bag of knowledge with us. And I think that's, exactly. that's the thing. It's these, these little nuggets of, of information and conversations that you have and outcomes that you, that you achieve that, that might not have anything to do with that bigger outcome, but it's that knowledge that kind of helps you get to that next destination. Absolutely. And it's a process, right? Like it is a process. Very rarely do you just start from like square one and arrive at the destination or the decision within, you know, a day or two or within one or two conversations. It's just, it's such a process. And I think it's a matter of maybe having a bit of faith that that's what's happening as well as we're slowly unraveling the knot Mm. uh, because we can't necessarily see that until we look back and we're like, oh, okay, well, we've come this far and now we know this and we understand this about our priorities and we tried this and realized that it didn't work for us, so we're going to shift over here. And I think like, it's it's not straightforward. You know, I really thought that when I started, the, that you started exploring the idea of simplifying my life that I would declutter and then I would become kind of zen about life and then everything would be sweet. <laughs> Like, that's not it. That's and, not how it works. And you have, a, you have a really beautiful diagram to explain that in the book, which is quite funny. <laughs> this, yeah. this, this I'm glad you find it funny. Yeah, this beautiful straight line, and this is what I thought it was going to be like, and then what actually happened was this kind of complete mess, but it was um, – yep. Yeah, but but that, that but that is life. Life is messy, um, and is, is. as – straight as we try to make it sometimes um it just doesn't it just doesn't work like that but you've spoken about a eulogy a couple of times Mm -hmm. in this conversation and i i know that that was probably a a big turning point for you or maybe a, a realization point for you are you able to talk to me about that for a little bit yeah absolutely it was it was a massive turning point i think it was the turning point um that took me from like I'd been kind of decluttering and simplifying life in a, a few other ways uh, for a couple of years before that. And I certainly was in a better place because of that. Like I'd really stripped away a few layers of crap that had been keeping me bogged down. But I hadn't made any huge strides towards living completely differently. And then um, Ben and I and the kids went to Canada in, at the end of 2014, Canada was a place that we have loved forever. Ben and I worked there when we were in our early 20s as lifties in the, the Rocky Mountains, and we always wanted to take our kids back and never thought we'd be able to. But we ended up, you know, working and saving for a couple of years and got there for Christmas 2014. Uh, and we were wandering through Banff in the Rockies and found this little bookshop and I realized that I wanted to get back into my writing over the last couple of months. So I found this little book. It was um, 642 tiny things to write about, this little book of writing prompts. And we got back to the apartment we were staying in, and I opened it up just randomly. And the first page uh, of writing prompts that I opened to told me to write my eulogy in three sentences. And that, like, that's a massive thing, right? I was 31 at the time. I hadn't spent any time thinking about my death. Like, I just, it hadn't really occurred to me. Uh, but I also hadn't spent a lot of time thinking about my life, mm. which I think was the problem. And I, over the next couple of days, I sort of thought about this idea and seesawed between thinking it was morbid and, and thinking that there was something powerful in it. And I sat down and I, I wrote out a few different options and, and ended up writing my eulogy. 
And I remember the feeling of having it down on the page and looking at my family and, you know, looking at the changes we'd made and um, or the, the, the great things that had happened in our life up to this point. And it felt incredible because all of a sudden I knew what I was working towards. I hadn't ever had that before, I don't think. I had never been intentional enough to know what I was working towards with um, these changes. And that's why I think some of the changes that I was trying to make weren't sticking because I didn't know why I was working towards them. And I, <laughs> uh, that feeling, that, that feeling of finally having gotten it, of having figured out my why was really powerful and it lasted for like three minutes because I would I then stopped and I said well am I living a life right now that if I continued to live this life for another 40 50 60 years people would say this about me you know thinking about my eulogy and the answer was no Mm. I wasn't like I knew what was important to me I knew unequivocally that my family and you know the planet and having an impact and doing good in the world were the most important things in my life. But I didn't live like they were the most important things in my life. And that was huge. Yeah, so, uh, so on that then, so what were some of the things that you – you had to change because uh, you know mm-hmm. I, th- I think that is that sometimes that that part that we we get stuck in and and when you when you just wrote your eulogy i guess you were were already a little bit further down this path it's not like that's not exactly how you you started this slowing yes. journey um so it was kind of part of the process but what were some of the things that you when you had that realization you're like you know what okay cool i need to change this and i need to change that <laughs> because it's it's that change it's that shift that i feel you know what i mean like getting you know the, the train tracks are so straight and like but yep. to actually kind of lift up the carriage and put it onto a new track like that takes effort it does yeah and it does take effort i think for me, going back to what you were talking about with time, uh, it, that was the biggest thing that needed to change. It was where it was questioning where is my energy going every day, because that's that's life. Like where we, the things that we pay attention to, the things that we put energy into, whether we mean to or not, that's what we're doing with our life. And I was spending way too much time on social media, for example, but then going to bed feeling guilty because I hadn't spent enough quality time with my kids. You know, that's that's a real disconnect there between what I know is important and what I'm doing. And I wasn't living like I knew what was important. So it was um, very gradually building boundaries in to my day for things that, look, they're part of life, but they're not in any way, shape or form an important part of life. And it was realigning my priorities every day to making sure I was doing something with one of those things that are important to me. So, you know, that's work, it's spending time with family, it's being present and, um, you know, really turning up for my kids, not just physically but also emotionally and mentally and in terms of my attention. And I hadn't been doing that. I mean, I might have been there but I wasn't there. I was too busy worrying about everything else, uh, you know, to, to really be a present person in their life and like that sucks to say that now it's an awful thing to realize but I'm glad I did realize it because otherwise you know it would be another four or five years of the same thing under my belt by now so it it really is just a gradual reprioritization and I think again going back to practicalities 
making a list of those things that are important to you at the moment, and that will and can and should change over time, but making a list of three or four things that are really important and, again, committing to putting your time and energy into those things rather than the things that that maybe are easier or more natural to, to put our time and energy into. And, I mean, that opens up a conversation about like procrastination mm. and discomfort and, you know, lots of different things, but I think they're all part of it. I was actually going to say, like, out of those, which which were the tough ones? Oh, that's a good question. Um, for me, becoming emotionally available was very difficult, um, you know, really opening myself up because I think that requires me to ask questions of myself and my choices and my actions that I didn't necessarily like the answer to. And it took a lot of... Um, unpacking I think of my thoughts on self-worth like that's a that's been a huge thing for me Um, figuring out why I didn't feel like um, my time or attention or love was worth much Mm. and for me um, the biggest piece of the puzzle there has been meditation and I've been meditating for a couple of years and sometimes more frequently than others but it's all it's been a part of life for a couple of years and that has very surprisingly to me I didn't expect this when I started has taught me the power of just feeling my feelings and being completely present in discomfort (laughs) and uncertainty and um, and even anxiety and stress and just softening into them and very gradually that has allowed me to soften into those really deep unspoken um, I guess concerns about my own self-worth and, and value and there's never there's not been like an aha moment at all I, I haven't had like a you know a life shattering earth-shaking kind of moment of realization it's just been a really gradual shift to a point now I can look back and go okay that's what was happening there mm. and this is where I am now and it's a it's a certainly a much healthier place to be and it's sometimes when we when we actually take the time to look back and I, I'm, I'm definitely not one to, to live in the past at all but taking that time to look back you can go wow that's how far I came yes. now I can look forward I'm going to be that much further in that same amount of time um, and and that for me maybe it's just kind of my personality that is encouraging because like, okay that's the big change that's going to happen it might not happen tomorrow but it's you know we're heading we're heading in that direction because when I look back, that's the direction I kind of came from. Yeah, absolutely. And I think sort of going back to what I said before about the idea of having a bit of faith that the changes are happening, we just may not see them yet. Mm. And that's where I think it's really important. Just stick with it. You know, once you know why, it's much easier to stick with something, even if you're not seeing immediate mm. results. And I think if you can do that for a month or three months or six months, and then then allow yourself to look back and see what's changed I think that that's where you're going to to realize like you say you've come this far and that then becomes the motivator that that continues to allow you to to push through things that are difficult or uncomfortable and we're talking about you know a lot of big changes and things like that or you know small changes that that can create big results Mm. you know you're a a wife and a, a mother of two so you're making these changes as as in a sense individual changes but you're part of this family unit how how has that been you know kind of going on this journey 
with other people that have their own individualness and things like that? Mm. Mostly fine, like mostly pretty like bump free. Um, but I, I've always been really aware of the fact that I don't I don't live in a vacuum, you know, and the changes that I make or the the things that maybe I would like to see in life don't just affect me. You know, I do have two kids, I am married, and their needs are just as important as mine. Um, and I think it's been this constant kind of um, renegotiation of what's important to, to one member of the family and making sure that that our kids feel like they're like this home and this life is also theirs. You know, uh, so people often ask me about clutter and kids, for example, and, you know, my kids are both collectors and that's okay. I'm not going to impose my idea of, you know, like a minimalist aesthetic on them, providing like I give them enough space to to be who they are without it affecting everyone else. So, you know, asking about <laughs> one of my kids has a rock collection, right? <laughs> 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 Which is great. <laughs> you know, and that's fine. And there's a space for the rock collection. And if the rock collection or the toy collection or the dinosaur collection or whatever it is, the books get too big for the space that they've they've got, then they know that it's time to reevaluate what they keep and what they don't. And we do that um, you know, four times a year, first day of the school holidays, every term we just go through their room and they, they figure out what they do and don't want anymore and we pass it on. And I think that just in the example of kids, giving them enough space and ownership of that space is really important because I don't want to, um, I guess, dampen their their innate enthusiasm for things because I don't know what that's going to lead them to. I, you know, I, I want to let them be themselves within the boundaries of operating within a family. So, uh, and that applies to, to lots of different things. I mean, that could apply to technology. If you've got a kid who loves coding, but you're really anti-technology, I think it's important to, well, not anti-technology, but, you know, anti-screen time or whatever it may be. And I think it's important to allow them to to be who they are within the boundaries of, you know, a fa- being a family unit. And same applies to Ben and I. Um, you know, I think that I would love to just, sell literally sell everything and live out of a backpack for the rest of my life but that's not going to suit three out of the four of us um you know (laughs) so it's it's a matter of kind of figuring out okay so this is we've got this yearning for travel how do we do that that in a way that works for all four of us and it's a it's a constant kind of seesaw it's i think being in a relationship any kind of relationship is there's periods of giving and, and periods of taking and I think it's a matter of looking back over it long term and seeing that, yep, that's that's fair and equitable because at any one time you may feel like you're giving or taking a little more than the other. And um, I think taking a snapshot isn't necessarily a healthy or helpful way of looking at it, but long term, mm. how balanced are we? And you spoke there about a, a healthy uh, love of travel. Mm-hmm. You've got some travel plans actually coming up next year where you're going to be taking your family and living in North America. Um, so tell me a little bit about that, but but also 
about the process to kind of arrive at that point because I think so often we can hear people's stories and you know especially with my story uh, you know we packed donated or sold everything so we could slow travel through North America for a year and and people kind of see the the traveling year and go wow that's amazing but they kind of forget about the iceberg underneath the ocean that was really <laughs> about allowing that year to to kind of take place um, yes so how was how has that journey or, or that evolution of those beautiful ideas kind of come to part yeah it's um it's been a big process i think ben and i spent probably the 12 months leading up to us finally deciding to go feeling very lost and very um kind of in a a state of flux we really didn't feel grounded in any way I mean we were going through lots of changes so he'd become self-employed kind of he's coming up to 18 months uh, almost actually coming up to almost two years at the end of the year of being self-employed I had been my work had changed significantly um, and we knew that we had this real yearning for some kind of adventure but then we've got two kids who had started school and there was a lot of grappling with what we should be doing what the right thing to do and figuring out what we wanted to do and how to make that work and just endless conversations about it and at the time of course it feels frustrating you feel like you're sort of stuck in this holding pattern but again like we we've spoken about a few times looking back we could see that what we're actually doing in those conversations was working stuff out figuring out what we wanted to look like what we hoped to get from an experience like that And we understand. And I think actually I think part of it was also grappling with the fact that we could see how lucky we are to be able to do that. And we absolutely are. Yes, we've put things in place. We've changed the way we work. We've changed the way we live in order for this to become something we can do. But even to be in a position to be able to change those things, we're incredibly fortunate. So I think some of that has also been like some of our our hesitancy but our you know the need to process it comes from the fact that we feel uncomfortable with the fact that we're so fortunate in that way so there's been a lot of things going into it and it's not just the practicalities of travel I mean they're kind of things that we're only starting to think about now it's been all the other stuff that we've had to to unpack and figure out and and feel okay with or feel okay with not feeling okay with um that that took the time and it's, I mean, it's incredibly exciting, but also fairly, you know, fairly daunting. Mm. I think when it becomes a reality, it becomes more daunting. I think. Oh, I 100% agree with you. Like when Inga and I were playing around with the idea of of traveling, and you know, I spent like four months spruiking our family, like because we were the only way we could afford to do it was house and pet sitting. But before anything was locked in, it was like, yeah, we're trying for this. Oh, and, 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 and we all we had felt was re- rejection for four months. And then once we got that first one locked in, we, we were so excited. But then it was like, oh, oh, wow, now we actually need to make this happen. Yeah. You know, no one, no one told me about those, you know, just kind of more hurdles and fears and unanswered questions that I, I now had to kind of figure out. Um, but again, like that's that's all all part of the fun like it's not you know I always say to people like this the way this kind of way of life like being deliberate and being intentional and being kind of mindful about how you want to live that doesn't make it an easy 
way mm-hmm. to live. It's it's not an easy way to live. I think if anything, you kind of feel because you're not numb anymore. You actually feel every decision um, yep. in its glory, but it then also kind of in its in its pain. Um, yeah, and it's 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 hard to kind of explain. Like it's it's not an it's not an an easy choice, but it's a really rewarding choice. Yeah. I think it's it's definitely not easy, and I say this all the time. Like it doesn't make it easy, but it does make it simple or simpler. I think because you know what you're working towards, um, and you know when you're listening to yourself, uh, you know it's just a matter of making the choices and making the decisions, and that's not easy. It's the decisions, it's the conversations, it's the letting go, it's the you know all the things that come as part of living a more intentional life that are difficult, but very rarely do you waver because you have done the head work and the heart work of figuring out what's important. And I think that there's there's a lot of freedom in that. There's a lot of work in it, but there's a lot of freedom. And I totally agree with you that living more intentionally, once you wake up, once you see this stuff, once you feel it, once you tune into your intuition, your priorities, your why, whatever you want to call it, you can't not hear that anymore like it's really hard to turn that off and it is sometimes highly uncomfortable and same thing happened to me when I first started meditating (laughs) um I would the first few days you know because I discovered meditation doing an experiment for the podcast and the first few days I'm like this is amazing you know why doesn't everyone do this meditation's awesome and it's you know it's easy and I'm just sitting here and I'm breathing and I feel great uh and then I guess a layer of something was stripped off me <laughs> through it, through that process and everything felt a little more tender and a little more raw and I started paying attention and, and this was part of the process of me becoming emotionally available, like I mentioned before. And it's uncomfortable. Like you're not just emotionally available for the good stuff. You know, you're emotionally available all the time and that means that you you do f- – well, I, I felt more deeply and more sharply and was – vastly more aware of sadness and joy and you know and envy and um you know pride and and everything that's kind of on the spectrum of the human emotions and it's it is startling on startlingly uncomfortable sometimes uh, but but worth it yeah and how do you how do you deal with the the unknowingness you know <laughs> like you, you you've got this this big life adventure happening and it's you know it's going to be great because it's it's coinciding with the release of slow in north america and, and I, I won't even try to figure out your release dates around the world because they're they're you know they're quite strange so we might be able to get that towards the end of the podcast but you know there's there's that un that that unknowing unknowingness of the trip but then also mm. that return coming home and and you know it's life in a mm-hmm. sense, like we, we, we don't know. We can pretend that we know when we're just numbingly going down a particular path because doing yep. when we do the same thing every day, we feel like we have that control um, when, when really we don't. But how, how, do you, how do you deal with the, the not knowing? And, and I guess that really comes into play when, when you're making decisions. Mm. Yeah, I think um, a few different ways. I I firstly now try and soften into the not knowing because like you say, even if we think we know, even if we think we're in control, we don't actually know. 
And I think it's been a very gradual process, a years-long process of softening into that and understanding that actually I'm, I'm not – I'm in control of what I choose to do. I'm in control of, you know, what I say and what my actions and reactions are. But there's a whole other world out there that I'm not in control of. And I think just – a, a gradual acceptance and softening into that is really important for lots of different reasons. Um, but in terms of, you know, the, the trip, I'm similar to you in that I'm, uh, and, the, and the coming home as well, I'm, I'm trying not to be tied to outcomes mm. or results or goals. We've, uh, so practically speaking, we have locked in the first four um, months of our trip uh, for heaps of different reasons, you know, just cash flow and because then the release of the book is sort of still up in the air in terms of dates but we know that we wanted to spend a few months in mountain towns in Canada so we basically have locked that in um, just in chunks of accommodation and apart from that we have no idea what's happening after that and I'm really having to kind of constantly maintain the tension between the part of me who wants to research and figure out cool stuff to see and do and the part of me that wants to lock that stuff in mm. <laughs> because of certainty. And it's been nice to really just cast my, my net fairly wide in figuring out what the possibilities are but not actually tying myself to any of them at the moment because I think understanding what's or what's on offer is important but it's also important to not get caught up in, in what that might look like because the last couple of years have taught me anything. It's that even if something that you want to happen happens, writing a book, for example, um, so the outcome is the thing that you had in mind, but the process looks vastly different. So I think it's really important to not close ourselves off from that either because otherwise we lose so much. Mm. You know, there's so much um, joy and depth to, to be had if we just allow ourselves to be in the process. And if I, yeah, if I, if I go into it with too many preconceived ideas, then I'm not going to be in the process. I'm not going to be completely present. And that's just a constant, um, reminding of myself, I think, to, to be there and to turn up and (laughs) yeah, be, Mm. be where, where I am. And just enjoy the ride. Absolutely. Mm. Yeah, Absolutely. But one final question before we go here, Brooke, and I know that you have answered this before, but I will ask it again because as, as we've discovered, things definitely do change. But that's mm-hmm. if you could please describe your perfect day. <laughs> okay. Um, well, see, I have two different perfect days. I have a perfect day like home here and then I have a perfect, perfect day. Uh, but a perfect day here, uh, you know, a working kind of regular day, Starts at 5.30. Actually, before I start, I want to say that I realized the other day that I had one of these days recently. And it's it was really fascinating because in my head, I thought that the angels would sing and like, there'd be a special light to everything. When I'm like, yeah, I had one of these days. Fantastic. Um, but it was just a day, you know. Anyway, <laughs> I get up. I like to get up before everyone else uh, and just spend the first hour in quiet creating um, and being like making, not consuming. So I get up, I, you know, have a shower, I get dressed, I meditate, do a little bit of yoga, and then I write for the first hour. And that's the first hour of my day. And that fills me up in a way that nothing else I've tried has. Uh, and it's just a pure creation. It's not creating for end consumption. It's not creating for someone else to read. It's just 
the act of creation. Um, and then just roll through the morning, very kind of bog standard school lunches kind of morning with a piece and a space mm. to me that I hadn't ever had before. And then to sit down and to work for, you know, five, six hours on something that is important to me. And then to be free enough in the afternoon to spend time with my kids in the backyard, go for a bushwalk, um, you know, cook dinner together and then spend time with Ben and go to bed and read. And it's such a boring day. But it is, if you're talking just your, your normal day, I've put so much work into creating a rhythm that works for me, that leaves me feeling fulfilled, but also pleasantly tired at the end of the day. And that's it. Mm. You know, the, probably sprinkle a bit of time in the garden, time outside in amongst that. And that's it. You know, I think it's so ordinary, but it feels so, um, yeah, fulfilling and satisfying. And we've spoken about, you've mentioned boundaries before. And when I look at your perfect day, I feel like there are these beautiful little fences around everything you've got mm -hmm. that what you do in the morning for you and then it's you know getting the kids ready for school and then it's work and then it's playtime and then it's togetherness and then it's sleep and it's it's and correct me if i'm wrong but there's that kind of deliberate notion from moving from one to the next instead of trying mm. to have a day that has those exact same ingredients but all mixed together yes and i think yeah. i think that's often where we where we get unstuck where we go people well that's what I do in my day but but they're doing it all at all at the one time yeah and I think that's the that's this idea of work-life balance that needs to just be shot down it really does because it sort of speaks to having to do it all at the same time whereas I like to and I'm able to and I fully understand that not everyone is able to like this but um, I do create these kind of pockets for different areas of life it doesn't happen every day. Like I'd be lying if I said it did, but when it does or when I'm able to at least do some of that and it's the idea of tilting that I, that I talk about, like tilting into work and being all in and being effective and productive and then tilting into time spent together as a family uh, when the kids are home. It allows me to do both but to turn up fully present in both, just not at the same time. And I think that that's, that's the way that I, you know, I'm able to go to bed with that feeling. You know, you do that gut check feeling at the end of the day sometimes. You're like, how did, how did I do? Did I, you know, did I, did I spend enough time with the people I wanted to? Did I, did I move enough? Did I eat well? And you kind of get those pangs in the gut sometimes when you know you didn't. And that's okay. Like, that's, that's life. But then it's a matter of making sure you turn up for that thing the next day and tilt in it. It gives you the, the ability to be flexible um, while also getting through the things and, and enjoying the things that you want. No, I most definitely 100% agree with that. And we, we spoke at the very beginning of the uh, this chat, Brooke, about your Newcastle book launch on Wednesday, the 27th of September, up here in Newcastle at the Hunter Design School and tickets for the uh, for that event. And it's, I think it's like $5 just to cover some um, room hire. Um, all the links to the tickets will be in the show notes at liveimmediately.com. But you've also got some other um, book, book talks coming up and, mm -hmm. and then also the release of the book. So tell me, tell me all of the crazy dates. <laughs> so I've got kind of maybe a dozen different events on over the next couple of months. I'm not going to tell you all the dates because I can't remember them off the top of my head. But 
um, slowyourhome.com slash events and you'll find everything that I'm up to for the next uh, couple of months listed there. The book is now out in Australia and New Zealand and it's coming out in uh, the States and Canada in spring next year. I don't know the exact date yet, but when, to coincide with that, we'll be doing a bit of a book tour in North America as well. Again, I'm not entirely sure what that's going to look like yet, but if anyone uh, listening in the States knows a bookshop or wants to put on a, a book chat, let me know. Just, just go over to the website and, um, and, and get in touch because we're starting to put together what that may look like, mm-hmm. um, which is, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a project. <laughs> but an exciting project. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, getting to chat to people who listen to the podcast or have read the books is um, it's something that I've had to train myself to be comfortable with um, because it's sort of it's well and truly out of my comfort zone. But it's so wonderful. It really is just to see how passionate people are as well about the ideas that you and I have spoken about and, you know, the ideas that are in the book or just the idea of slow or you know, being present or paying attention or being intentional. And it's, I feel incredibly optimistic and excited because there's this sort of groundswell of momentum built on people who want to make a difference and who want to turn up and be present. And I think there's so much good in the world that's going to happen as a result. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's interesting too, because sometimes a lot of the stuff that we do is is by ourselves or we, you know, we get to have these kind of conversations, but we, you know, it's so lovely to kind of meet people um, and, ha- yes. and have that kind of that, that human element. But I, as I said, I will make sure that all of the, the links to everything and, and your socials and all that kind of stuff are in the show notes at, at liveimmediately.com. But is there anything that you want to say before we say our goodbyes, anything that, that I've forgotten about that you, you want to put in there? I just want to say thanks to you, Mike, actually, for, for always supporting us and, and for the work that you do. It's um it's having an impact and it's awesome. Oh, thank you very much. Well, you I've said it a thousand times before and I, I tell everyone whenever I talk about you, but the, the things that yourself and Ben have been able to do for Inga and I um, to really encourage us and, and really change our life has, has been, um, been beautiful. So um, right back at you there, Brooke, and, and also you, Ben, when you're um, – editing this <laughs> but um but uh, brooke thanks again for for coming on and i really do look forward to seeing you in person again when um when we 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 host that event up here on wednesday the 27th of september so all local people or sydney guys if you want to come up you're, you're definitely more than welcome but um thank you once again brooke and thank you everybody for listening and until next time have fun and live immediately That was another episode of the Live Immediately podcast with Mike Campbell. Thanks so much for listening. The original Live Immediately theme music is by the multi-talented Timothy McPhee. You can check out his music at firekites.bandcamp.com. If you enjoyed the show, had some fun, and maybe even learned something, then make sure you subscribe via iTunes. And while you're there, why not leave a rating and a review? You know it's going to make my day. 
Thanks for stopping by and giving me some of your time today. I'll catch you on the next episode. And until then, have fun and live immediately.